and welcome to Show and Tell with Christopher Biggins. This is the podcast where I invite one of my friends to tell me about three things that have a special meaning to them. So in this podcast, I'll ask my guests to show off their most prized possessions and take me through the stories of why they mean so much. Big or small, new or old, their selections are completely up to them. So without any further delay, it's time to welcome our show and teller, Les Dennis. You'll know Les as a television presenter, actor and comedian. He presented Family Fortunes for 15 years, been on our television screens in many different forms, and he's been in countless stage productions, including his latest project, Hairspray the Musical, which I was lucky enough to see myself just a few weeks ago. Hi, Les. How are you doing? I'm very good, Chris. How are you? You're not too depressed about the show being off? Uh, No, I mean... we will get back next week, which will be fantastic. It's a great show to do. Um, it's unfortunate, but it's the, a sign of the times, isn't it? So we're, we're off. Um, we were off from a week last Sunday. And so in all, it will be nearly two weeks before we get back. And of course, we must say this is Hairspray in the West End. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Which you are brilliant in, and you're with the brilliant <laughs> Michael Ball. Uh, so yes. it's a great evening in the theatre. But... It is so destroying that, you know, you rehearse and you go to put it on at the Coliseum Theatre and COVID brings it off because it, did you have two or three members with... with um, we had we had uh, two members um, and uh, we followed all the rules. Everybody wears masks backstage. It's a one-way system. Uh, nobody kind of has more contact than they have to do on stage. Um, but unfortunately, um, a couple of our members got it, and that meant that we had to come off, even though uh, not many of us were their close contacts. But uh, we'll do what we can do. And, you know, as you say, Michael Ball is a, is a joy to work with. The show is a great show to do, and I'm having a great time loving it. Well, you're brilliant, and it's wonderful. Because Thank I, you. I, I, I know you remember this, because we had, when I came to see the first night of Hairspray, uh, we had dinner afterwards, which was yes, just we gorgeous. Because, <laughs> we, of course, we first met in Swansea. In Swansea, yeah. In yes. 19, I think it was 1986 into 1987 pantomime. It was a long, a long run we did, and we had a great time there, didn't we? It was Mother Goose, and I played Mother Goose, and you played my son. Billy I Goose. Name, was, he, was he Billy Goose? <laughs> Billy Goose, and, yeah. And then we, uh, three months we were in Swansea. Yeah, we were. Which was one of the longest pantomimes I'd <laughs> ever done. I mean, I know that we, we, we were um, really not the longest because I know that in the olden days, people would go from pantomime which would finish in a sort of like June and then go into <laughs> summer season. And then they yeah. would go back into pantomime. It was like two jobs. That was, that was the whole year for a lot of, of variety performers. Yeah, absolutely. It really was. But we had a good time and it was an unusual pantomime in as much as it was, uh, I, 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 as Mother Goose, I died at the end of Act One <laughs> and went, went to heaven on a, a 40-foot uh, span, um, a goose, with all of you downstairs on the stage singing, we'll keep a welcome in the hillside. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I remember oh, that, absolutely. God. And there was a pirate ship and it was very lavish. And, it was uh, lavish. Lots of musical numbers in it. Yeah, we had a good yeah. time. It was really good, really good. Of course, you started your career, Les, as a, yeah. a double act. Or would I, did, did, were you doing things before on your own? I started um, in the working men's clubs uh, on my own. Um, And in fact, um, 50 years ago this month, July 2021, (laughs) 50 years ago this month, I did my first television show, which was Opportunity Knox with uh, Huey Green. Um, So I kind of classed the fact that I started doing what I do and have always done um, 50 years ago this year. My God, fantastic. I didn't meet Dustin until until I joined the the Madhouse. Although I, I met him briefly in the seventies on Who Do You Do, um, and then it was when we were working with Russ Abbott that we teamed up. And um, actually, uh, one of the things I'm going to show you is to do with Dustin, so we can talk about that. All right, lovely. I mean, I I always remember you seeing you, and I think I must have seen that uh, opportunity opportunity knocks <laughs> yeah. uh, that you did, and I you did that famous. 
uh, characterization from Coronation Street. Uh, Mavis. Mavis, yes, Mavis, which was yeah. hysterical. Yeah, yeah. Well, um, Mavis, actually, um, I didn't start doing Mavis till later. I think when, when I did Opportunity Knocks, I was doing, basically, I was ripping off Freddie Starr's act. <laughs> and, um, and Sammy Davis Jr., who I had an EP of, um, he, uh, Sammy Davis Jr. impersonates. Um, I did James Stewart and um, Mick Jagger from, you know, that I Nick from Freddie Star. Um, I didn't start doing Mavis until I teamed up with Dustin in the 80s. So, um, but uh, yeah, that, that, that impression. It's still, it's still there. I still do it occasionally. Still, I mean, she still, people still say, T tell me, I don't really know. So she was a lovely character to, to do. And she, I think yes. she's, I think she had her 90th birthday recently. I, think I saw right. it on Twitter. Think... Yeah. Thelma Barlow. I'm having lunch with uh, Helen Worth on some Saturday. Okay, yes. So I'll yeah. ask her, but I'm sure she still, is still alive. I mean, she was one of the sensible ones who left <laughs> yeah. enjoy, enjoy retirement, you know. Enjoy retirement, yeah. Well, of course, Helen, I worked with on Coronation Street. Where, yes, was great thrill. Um, I, in fact, she is still Gail Rodwell. She's still married to Michael to, to Rodwell. To, to Yeah, to her dead husband, Michael. <laughs> <laughs> Do you think uh, being a comedian uh, like you are, it was easier in the early days and it is now? There was certainly more work in the early days. You know, you could do 52 weeks a year, not as we've talked about with just pantomime and summer season, but I could do the cabaret circuit. Um, there was lots of um, television variety shows um, that you could guest on. Um, and there was summer season and pantomime. So it, it, there was certainly more work, but I don't know. It's... Um, it's, it's a changing business um, and so many of my contemporaries are, are not around anymore, not doing it anymore. So, it, yeah, I think, it, I think it, um, it was easier to get the work, but the work I think sometimes was harder. Going to do the three or four weeks in the Northeast in the working men's clubs was a real baptism of fire because you didn't know what kind of audience you'd face. You know, sometimes you'd go on to the sound of your own footsteps. You'd go <laughs> Sunday noon, Sunday noon in a miners club, and all the fellas would be sitting there with their news of the world like this. And they'd pull them down, look at you, and then go back like that. And, and if you managed to get them to lower the papers, you were doing well. Oh, so man. it was, um, yeah, I had, I had the curtains closed on me. I had, I had a concert secretary one time say, Come off, Bonnie lad! Don't punish yourself. <laughs> so you know they were they were tougher days. Um, I'm 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 happy doing shows like Hairspray in a lovely theatre like the Coliseum than than, than that. But but again, it was a great grounding for me. It's where I I learned how to how to fight against an audience. <laughs> of course, I can't go away without uh, talking to you about your quiz programs. Mm. Family Fortune. Uh, Family Fortune, which was I absolutely loved. I, I watched nearly every one of them, I think. But you had some funny things happen, didn't you, in that, in that it, show? It was a great show that I, I inherited from, you know, it had originally been done by Bob Monkhouse, then Max Bygraves, and I took over in, let me see, what, 18, 1987. And um, it, was, it was a joy to do, and it took me a while to realise how to work it. I think I was watching Bob's tapes and thinking, like Bob had a joke for every single contestant and, and, a, and a joke for every uh, question. Um, and I looked at that and thought, maybe that's what I need to do. And then I realized that the humor should come organically out of, out of the situation. And, you know, if, a, if an, a family member came up with a stupid answer, you know, name somewhere you might stand in, in a queue at the front. You know? <laughs> <laughs> or name something that's pink, my cardigan. Yeah, let's see if it is. Let's see if 100 people agreed with you on that one. Um, you know, um, name, name something other than doors you can open, your bowels, Les. I, mean, <laughs> I, I, I realised that I could just look down the camera and then maybe if it was ridiculous, uh, coming up with the... the 
uh, the answer, if it's up there, I'll give you the money. Yeah, which you were famous for. Which wonderful became catchphrase. my catchphrase. Yeah, um, that that was that was how the show ran, and I, I did it for, I think it's sixteen years. Of sixteen Family years. Yeah, yeah, I did sixteen years on Family Fortunes, and you know we recorded um, the whole series, twenty six shows in three weeks. So it meant that the rest of the year I could do, um, and it, uh, it's kind of paid me well, I could go off and do a rep play at Oldham Coliseum or, or you know, somewhere, you know, Birmingham rep um, and, and, and learn my craft as an actor. So um, that's how I've managed out of family fortunes to kind of change direction, I think, because, I, because that's what I did when I, when I, was, when I was off. I didn't realise you were a multi-millionaire. <laughs> <laughs> Two divorces, Chris. <laughs> oh, that is that's extraordinary, though, to do that many shows. That's fantastic. It was it was incredible. Yeah, I was I was very lucky. You know. Yeah. Well, no, you were very talented. I mean, you know, and I, I, I mean, I used to watch it all the time. It was just a joy to watch. I mean, you know, you're, you're right. It was, it was the, the, the mistakes that they, the contestants made or the stupid things they said. Absolutely. Which yeah. I remember, like, for instance, there was, um, if I had the card for the big money game, I would have the top answer on the card just so that I would know to keep the drama going and think, you know, they, they might be able to do the card, they might be able to do this. So I'd kind of be able to see what they needed to get for top answer. And I remember that one of the questions was um, name a Native American tribe. Um, and this bloke must have seen the card. He must have looked. And I learned after that to keep it closer because he said, Sayux. <laughs> <laughs> he'd read he'd read sue as science <laughs> so i knew he'd read it <laughs> oh god how funny you should write a book you know on all the mistakes that the punters made it would be wonderful well i, I put them into uh, a chapter of my autobiography i did uh, oh did you yeah i did that Oh, I haven't got. I must get that. It's it's called Must the Show Go On, and um, it, Must the Show Go yeah, On. Yeah, Must the title. Show Go On. Well, the t the reason I did it was because when my mum died, when my dad died, when Dustin died, I was always told, you know, well, you're working. You know, you, when when Dustin died, I was still in pantomime. Um, it was the year before we did pantomime together. I was. Um, it was in Southport, and um, the decision was made that the show would go on the next day. And Jim Bowen, lovely Jim Bowen, came in and took over from Dustin. Um, and I was working, grieving my, the loss of my partner and great friend, and still working with Jim in Dustin's costumes. It was, it was a time that, you know, with hindsight, I realized I, I buried grief over those three deaths. And so my attitude now is, the show doesn't have to go on, or rather, the show can go on, but you don't have to stay in the show. Yeah. If you've got another yeah. study, somebody can go on for you. Um, you should, you should. I think sometimes there are things more important than Doctor Stage. Having said that, you know, I go on whenever, um, I, even with illness or you know, in pantomime, like we all do. You go on with sometimes with the raging flu, but you carry on. But um, and so I am professional, but I have the attitude now that if um, something happened in my life that um, was tragic, I wouldn't do it, wouldn't go on. I, I remember vividly, uh, and I, I understand what you're saying, because I was in, starring in Pantomime in Plymouth. Yeah. And um, my, um, Neil, my partner, was there, and two of my best friends were in the show, that, were watching the show that night. And I knew my father was dying, and at the uh, end of the show, I went to, before, it, uh, as soon as I came off stage, I went to my dressing room and I, my phone had been ringing a lot and it was my brother. So I knew something had happened and my brother came on telling in tears on the phone. I then broke down. I absolutely mm, broke down. Of course you did. Yeah. And uh, the, um, um, the villain uh, of the piece, uh, he came and uh, 
held me and there's me as the dame dressed in the dame costume with the this terrible makeup streaming down my face wow. in tears yeah and you think to yourself what why why have i done this i should have gone and been there with him you know yeah and, uh, i know i know it's t- terrible things you do uh, but that's that's I suppose that's showbiz, isn't it? We 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 get conditioned into thinking this is all the be all and end all, which in fact Absolutely. it's not. Yeah, and it's only when you get older. Now, Dustin was such an important part of your life. Yes. How many years were you together? Um, we were together what two two years fully. Um, I met him on on uh, Madhouse. Um, we shared a flat in in Dorset Square in London while we were um, a service flat while we were filming The Madhouse. Um, we, our rapport built on that and the Vera Mavis came out of that show. Um, and then um, I think it was 1984, we did our first panto together. Um, and he died in 1986. So I knew him about four or five years. What did he die of in the end? Was it cancer? No, he had um, an enlarged um, heart. He had cardiomyopathy, which was um, an enlarged heart. And um, it was something that he knew he had. Um, he kind of knew he was on borrowed time, Dustin. He knew that, um, that he should have maybe not worked as hard as he did, but he wanted to enjoy and, and was, I mean, we were riding the crest in 1984. We got our TV show, The Laughter Show. And then in 95, it, it was a massive show on, on BBC. We also had a show on ITV, on, one on Saturday night and the other on Sunday. That's unheard of. We weren't, we weren't contracted to either um, channel and we were on both channels. So um, we, uh, we had a great time, but he knew that, you know, that, that, but chose to, to live his life to the full. And he did live his life absolutely full. It's very similar what Dustin had because I, I worked uh, with Richard Beckinsale on Porridge. Yes, and he, and he died, but he died of the same thing. You did know. he? He had oh, the, wow. yes, the, the heart, which I th- I don't know whether he knew he had. I suspect he didn't know, but he had this enlarged heart, which I you know, and that's exactly how he he left uh, us. And it was tragic. Both both stories were tragic. I remember. I can remember sitting in a restaurant in Liverpool. Um, and it was, uh, when was it? Probably late 70s, was it? That yeah, it was. He died. About 74. About 74, 75. Yeah, I remember sitting in a restaurant in Liverpool and hearing the news and being absolutely shocked because his talent was fantastic. Um, I saw him on stage as well as, uh, you know, uh, um, the wonderful shows like The Lovers and Porridge and Rising Dam. He, I saw him on stage in a, in a musical. Um, I... I Love My Wife, I think it was called, um, a wonderful stage show at the Prince of Wales Theatre and his comic timing and his brilliant business that he, that he did on stage was fantastic. What a, what a waste of a talent. Just like Dustin, two, two, two massive talents that we lost too early. I know, too. It was, it was a tragedy, tragic. I remember I was in Northumb- North, uh, Northumberland and I was making a film with Derek Jarman called The Tempest, and we were staying in this funny, funny hotel, and I was right at the top of the hotel, and uh, there were no telephones in the, in the room, so the manager had to come up one Saturday morning, I think it was, and he knocked on my door, and he said, oh, Mr Biggins, the Sun newspaper want to talk to you, and I thought, oh, my God, what have I done now? And uh, <laughs> I, so I, I went downstairs and talked, and they said, we're terribly sorry to say this, but Richard Beckinsale's died. Have you got anything to say? And it was just such a shock because, you know, I mean, Dustin, how old was Dustin? Dustin was 43. Yeah, well, I mean, Richard was even younger. I mean, yeah, you know, it's he was, just yeah. awful, awful, awful. Right, now, we're coming to our three items, which I've asked you to give. Have you got your first one ready? Can you, can you give me some clues as to what it's about? Um, well, I, I grew up in Liverpool um, in the 60s, so um, that might be a clue. Is it something to do with the Beatles? It is something to do with the Beatles, yeah. Is it uh, a record? No, it's, it's not a record of theirs, no. No, it's not. A photograph of them? It's not a photograph, um, but close. A photograph is close. A painting? A painting. It's a painting. Indeed it is. Ah. Yeah. So it's a painting of the four? Of the, of the four Beatles, yeah. 
And not done by you. Not done by me. No, I wish it's 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 um it's it's a really. I mean, I think a, a wonderfully captured um, uh, evocation of who they were. Really marvelous. Can we have a look? You you most certainly can. Now then, here it is. Oh my goodness, that is fantastic. And is it signed by them? Uh, it's not signed by them. It is signed by the artist more. Um, Maurice Cockrell, I think his name is Maurice Cockrell, and it was painted um, in 1980. So not long before John died. John died in December 1980. Um, and, you know, I had gone to two schools in Liverpool, Joseph Williams Primary School that Paul had gone to, and then Quarry Bank, um, where John went. Um, John, John was at Quarry Bank and formed the Quarry Men, um, who then became the Beatles after that. Um, that's where they, they met, and then George and then Ringo came in later once they were at the Cavern, and Pete Best left the group. Um, so, uh, you know, kind of growing up in, can I put that down? Yeah, now? you can, yes, if we, we can see it. Yes. Um, <laughs> but oh, the only thing I was going to say, what, what I love about this Penny Lane, which, again, I lived near Penny Lane. Our school was quite near... Penny Lane, you've got like Jude here, Rita, Julia, Eleanor Rigby, Michelle is cool, Lucy, all, all the names of their songs and characters are just kind of used as like graffiti on this Brilliant. sign. That's exactly like the sign in Penny Lane. So, um, yeah, I, I grew up in Liverpool at that time and they were such an influence. I mean, to be, I remember I had a paper round in Liverpool and one Friday night there was the, when, when the Beatles did Shea Stadium in, um, in America, there was an extra um, souvenir edition of the Echo. And I remember having to carry these, <laughs> the bag, the bag was so heavy that night, but I was so excited, you know, because I felt that connection that being in Liverpool was suddenly cool. People in America knew about Liverpool, whereas, you know, before that, nobody did really. I mean, Ken, <laughs> Ken Dodd, I suppose, was our, was our biggest name. Um, we had comedians that people knew, Arthur Rasky and, you know, some, a lot of famous um, Liverpool comedians. But the Beatles just took um, Liverpool by storm and um, they made me not, I mean, I never wanted to be um, a musician. It wasn't something I, I, I never went, like a lot of kids in Liverpool went to Hesse's and bought guitars and learned the Burt Weed and play in a day to try and learn the guitar. I think what, what, I ha what happened for me is I followed the fifth Beatle. I watched Sunday night at the London Palladium and Jimmy Tarbuck, who dressed like the Beatles, had the mop hair and was like, I think they for a while called him the fifth Beatle. I watched him and that's what I wanted to do. So, so a massive influence in my life. And when that painting um, I have in, in our house here, so that painting's very important to me. It's wonderful. I like where too, it's almost as though it's ripped across. Yeah, which yeah. Is very yeah that's right. Across the top of the, yeah. of the sign, yeah. Um, did you ever meet the Beatles? Um, I met Ringo once in, in a restaurant. I was with Russ Abbott and I remember Ringo saying, hey, the stars are out tonight. And I was thrilled. <laughs> I was like, Ringo Starr knows who I am. Um, I, I never met George or John, um, but one time I was um, at a concert at um, Kenwood House um, one of those um, Saturday night where you take your picnic and you put your picnic uh, basket down and, and I was there with a group of friends and um, we were watching the um, Gypsy Kings and a friend said to me, don't bring any food um, and um, uh, uh, some friends are coming. So we put the blankets out um, and I remember people looking at me going, who does he think he is? There's about five blankets there. He's got, he's got more space. People, it was getting crowded and um, my friend Jack had put all these blankets and I was like, People are looking at me. They think I'm taking up too much space. He said, it's okay. It'll be, it'll be all right. <laughs> and then 10 minutes later, walking across with his picnic basket, came Paul McCartney <laughs> with Heather Mills. And they sat down with us and Paul sat next to me. And I spent the evening <laughs> having a picnic with Paul McCartney. I couldn't believe it. It was the most 
wonderful experience. He said, I've seen you on the telly. <laughs> oh my God. Paul McCartney's just, whoo. He's just kind of sitting. And, and he said, do you want some chicken? Some of Linda's chicken. <laughs> so all the, all the food was vegetarian. So clearly they said, don't bring any food. So we, we ate um, his wonderfully prepared food. Uh, we sat and watched the Gypsy Kings and I, um, talked to Paul about growing up in Liverpool, having gone to Joseph Williams, the school that he'd gone to. And it was a thrilling evening. I mean, I said to him, I love that song you wrote for for John. And he went, and he started singing it to me. I love you. you." And I was like, oh, this is amazing. Fantastic. Um, We had some photos taken and I put one of those photos in the book. So, um, yeah, it's it was a great and unexpected evening. And the the people who were moaning about all the blankets forgave me. (laughs) (laughs) And the Gypsy Kings, how were they? (laughs) They were terrific. terrific. I remember standing with Paul and we were harmonizing to the Gypsy Kings. And I was like, I'm I'm singing with Paul McCartney. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's brilliant. Now, what's your next item? Have you got some clues for me? Um, I've got another. Um, it's even bigger, so it'll, be, it'll take a little bit more room. Uh, a, a square thing. <laughs> and um, it's maybe to do with a very important time in my career. Right. And is it, uh, is it a painting? It's not a painting this time. No, it's not a painting. So it, it's it's a picture. It's a picture. It's a it's a picture. A very intricate picture. Intricate. Uh, is it with you and this and someone else? No, it's not with me. It's with um, someone before he was linked. They were linked to me. Dustin. It's Dustin G. It is ah. indeed Dustin G. It's not a picture as such. Well, or rather, it is a picture, but it's what you might use to advertise a show. A poster. It's a poster. <laughs> it's a poster. <laughs> and he's the poster boy. Can we have a look? Yep, absolutely. Let me see. Here we go. Oh, my God. Wonderful. The sensational Dustin G. See? One. Um, Mike, Mike Hughes presents. Mike Hughes became our manager. He was already my manager. Let me move that out of the way because that's that's the lights on it. There, you can see him there. Is that all the impressions he did? That's all the impressions he did there. Oh, Betty you Davis. Know? Yep, Betty Davis, Pamers, uh, Vera from um, Corrie, John Lennon there in the middle, Basil Fawlty. It goes right up to the top. I think Kenny Everett's in there. Yeah, Kenny Everett. Victoria Wood, Jerry Lee Lewis. I mean, he was so versatile as an impressionist. He could do singing impressions. I think there's, I think there's um, uh, Rigsby there, some, you know, some Leonard Ross from Rising Damp. And Ziggy Stardust. That Lynch, yeah, he did a wonderful Bowie impression. It's wonderful, absolutely wonderful. For me, it's, it's a reminder of just, the genius of him. Um, there's Clive James as well, Arthur Askey, Rod Stewart, Wurzel Gummidge, Russell Harty, and his Russell Harty was hilarious. Just over here in the in oh, the yes, corner. Oh yes, yes, yes. And the great thing about Dustin when we worked together was I would do kind of very quick and fast um, vocal impressions. Dustin would go to a, a, a props table um, and just put in a pair of teeth, put on a pair of glasses, um, flatten his hair down, turn around, and he, Larry Grayson was in front of you. Or he put, he put on a cowboy hat and, and pull a face with a cigarette in the corner of his mouth, and he was Robert Mitchum, the Hollywood movie star. And Amazing. it was, you know, he'd get a round of applause as he walked to the microphone and then said, I can't do the voice. <laughs> that was the, the wonderful thing about when, when we started to do, we, Vera Mavis came by accident on the Russ Abbott show through a, through a sketch that where Russ was doing a thing called selling impressions. Um, and uh, like a barrow boy is Sid the Spiv uh, character. And the audience was shouting out people that they wanted um, us to do. Um, under the barrow, there was Jeff Holland, 
Michael Barrymore, uh, Dustin and myself, and we'd pop up, you know, somebody would shout, you know, Tommy Cooper, some one of us, I'd pop up, ah, thank you very much, thank you. <laughs> and do a joke. And then, you know, um, Basil Fawlty, and, and I think um, it, both Dustin and um, Michael did that, and they'd stand up and do the Basil Fawlty, which was incredible. And then somebody shouted, Vera from Coronation Street. So Dustin just quickly grabbed a wig and put it on and came up and went, hey, all right, kids. And, and it got such a big reaction. He'd never done it before. And, um, and then he didn't have anywhere to go with it. And I, I was underneath and I thought, oh, that wig looks all right. And I put it on and I just came up and I went, I don't really know. And the audience, it went mad. And we found something by absolute accident just from a, um, an improvisation with an audience. And then the next week, John K. Cooper had written um, or got the writers to write for Vera and Mavis um, sketches in the pub. So that's how it started for us. And then when we, when we put impressions together, we put the oddest people. I mean, Vera and Mavis, I mean, they're both from Coronation Street, but they were never friends in Coronation Street. Uh, Vera was Ivy's mate. And um, Mavis was was Rita's friend. Um, so we put them together, a kind of odd combination. And then we put Bobby Ball and Billy Connolly together, Larry Grayson and Boy, Boy George. And we put these odd people together, um, Derek Hatton and, and Arthur Scargan. <laughs> it was... Um, and, and we got our own TV show. And from that one little... Um, improvisation our career as a double act took off and it was a it was a fantastic time working with him just wonderful brilliant i wish i'd known him i never knew him but i did you I, never meet him no i yeah. I, I i i was a great great fan of his i thought he was fantastic. Mm. and the two of you together were just showbiz joy showbiz royalty you were it was fantastic well, that's lovely, Les. Now, uh, we'll be back for Les's third and final item after a short break. And also, I'm going to show you something from my own collection. Ah! Yes, yeah, so stay with us for <laughs> oh, that. Oh, lovely. And we'll be back after this. So, welcome back. Now, Les, it's uh, my turn yes. to show you my item. Now, Grace. Uh, my item you can see through. Right. That's okay. Is it a negligee? <laughs> <laughs> Do you know, it's, it, it, pantomime costumes, uh, I, it, I used to, because uh, you play Dane now, don't you? Yes, I do. Yeah. Yeah, I and love it. I used to, I used to keep them in the loft and I, I couldn't keep them anymore. It was terrible. So I, you know, a, a negligee could have been part of it. I could have <laughs> yeah. got a negligee for you. Uh, no, it's not a negligee, no. It's, uh, but to do with pantomime, funny enough. Okay, and it's see-through, see-through. Yeah. Uh, see-through. Is it, is it the, the mirror, um, the magic mirror? No, no, because uh, it, it's, it's see-through. See-through. So that you, can, you, you can, not a reflective thing. Right. Uh, it's a window. No, no. Uh, it's something that you uh, you get in Cinderella. Oh, it's a slipper. Well done. Ah, and it's, right. It's a glass slipper, and this is the glass slipper. Wow. And this was given to me. I was doing Cinderella, which, in fact, uh, I've, I've never played Ugly Sister because I'm far too pretty, as you would understand. Of this. course, of course. And so I've never been able to play Ugly Sister, but I, in Cinderella, which I've done many times, I played Buttons. And someone gave me that as a first night present, which I, I absolutely adore. It's, it's, it's great. So it's lovely, isn't it? Really lovely. We don't get as good a one on stage. No, you don't. You don't. <laughs> you don't. Uh, but I, I, I love, uh, we, we both share a joy of pantomime. Uh, which is is fantastic, and uh, you've been doing you do it every year now, don't you? I do it every year now, um, and I, when when we were, I was doing Coronation Street, we couldn't, um, um, and I had had a break. I think I got um, one year got me and my girl, and then I had a few years of not doing it, but um, and then uh, came back to it and worked with. Um, when I returned, it was. Um, in Sunderland, in Plain Buttons, to uh, Mickey Rooney's Baron Harder. Oh, my now God. Now, that, that was an experience. 
Mickey Rooney, um, he called me Buttons for the three and a half weeks we were together. <laughs> hey, Buttons! <laughs> Never learned my name. <laughs> hey, Buttons! <laughs> and, um, did, he um, le- did, was, he le- did he learn any lines? Um, he was on autocue um, on the show, oh in the my show. God. But, but he, you know what? I have to say that he was 87 years old. He would sit in the wings 40 minutes before the um, start of the show. And uh, he would listen to the Christmas songs being played. And when Frank Sinatra singing, have yourself a merry little Christmas, he would get very angry because, of course, <laughs> Frank Sinatra ran off with Ava Gardner. Oh, yeah, of you know? <laughs> so, <laughs> it would have been like it would have been like me having to listen to Bob the Builder um, every night. <laughs> so, so I did this um, panto with Mickey Rooney, and I have to say that he was massively professional, never missed a show, um, was sometimes the angriest man um, kind of just just pent up, I think. Um, but I remember one day at rehearsals, he said to me, he said, hey, Buttons, I did a film. I did a, I did a movie once with, with um, Olivia de Havilland and Jimmy Cagney. And I was like, yes, yes, um, Midsummer Night's Dream. And then he started, he just stood there and said, if we shadows have offended, and he did Puck's closing speech. And the hairs on the back of my neck, just even now, thinking of it, remembering, it was incredible. And and that was my return. And I I played Buttons for a few years, and um, including working with Scylla Black, we did an amazing production um, uh, for the 2008 in, in Liverpool cap- Capital of Culture the Capital of Culture in Liverpool yeah. we did uh, Cinderella it was all Liverpool cast Ted Robbins um, and uh, Pete Price a local DJ um, Jennifer Ellison not not Jennifer <laughs> the <laughs> Not the one from Friends, the, other one, the, Liverpool, the Liverpool girl, Jennifer Ellison. And uh, we had a great time just uh, doing that. So I, I, like you, Buttons was, was a joy to play. But I got to the point where I thought, no, Buttons can't be in his 60s. Yeah, and, yeah um, I agree. <laughs> and, uh, and still fancy and Cinder. So I, like you, I've, I, I now do Dame. But you're a great Dame. You're, you're, you are the quintessential Panto Dame. Well, do you love it? I love it. I really love it. And uh, I, I, I was reluctant to do it first because I thought, well, I, I'm an actor. You know, I don't mm, do pantomime. Yeah. Panto. And then they, men- they mentioned the money and I, had, I thought I'd better do it. <laughs> <laughs> but it's cool now. I mean, so many people oh, yes. who wouldn't have done Panto now are, you know, loving it. Yeah, oh, they? absolutely. I mean, uh, I, one that springs to mind is uh, um, the Shakespeare actor. Oh, God, I'm drying his name. Um, uh, Ian McKellen. Ian, yes, Ian McKellen. I yeah. mean, you know, he's yeah. a great dame. He, he rang me when he was going to go to the old Vic and he said to me... Um, what should I do? What you know, you you're a very good dame and all that sort of thing. And we went through various things. And I said, really, you should try and have a catchphrase. And he went, catchphrase. What do you mean catchphrase? <laughs> and I tried to explain to him, and he couldn't quite work it out. But he did do a sort of half. Well, I went to see it, a half-hearted catchphrase. But I I love having a catchphrase. You know. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I don't at the moment. I do. Uh, don't touch the. What could what could it be? Don't touch the. Uh, the ice cakes, leave the ice cakes alone. And every time someone right. goes near it, people shout that out, you know. Uh, but it, 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 it's, it's, it's a wonderful field of entertainment. It is. It is lovely to do. But, of course, you're not going to do it this year because right? you're going to be back at the Coliseum. I'm going to be back at the Coliseum. Um, when, when Hairspray finishes, um, I stay in that theatre. I should... I should put a bed in my dressing room. <laughs> and I am doing my first opera. Or, I mean, I suppose it's literally operetta because it's Gilbert and Sullivan. That's what people keep telling me. But I think it's opera. Um, yeah, I'm doing Gilbert and Sullivan's HMS Pinafore for the English National Opera. So from working men's clubs um, <laughs> and, and to, to opera in 50 years. But, you know, that's what I, the exciting thing about this business is that we never know what is coming up. And, um, and I, if I get a challenge, I did the RSC two years ago. I did a season 
of um, restoration, comedy and tragedy, which was su such fun to do. Um, and, and now opera. So I, I'm, I'm just thrilled that I keep getting offered things that, that stretch me. Yeah, it's great. Well, you're so good at them too, which is, which is marvellous. Do you have any ambitions left? Uh, I still, funnily enough, I, I worked at the RSC, um, but I didn't do Shakespeare. I still would like to do some Shakespeare. Um, I remember when I was 17, 18, going with the school to the Royal Shakespeare Company in Stratford and watching a performance of Twelfth Night and an actor called Emrys James was playing Feste and he blew me away. And I remember sitting there and thinking, I want to do that. But I was already going down the Working Men's Club and the Opportunity Knox route. Um, but I, I remember thinking I would love that. And then I got this chance two years ago to go and do a season there and did uh, get checked for, for something this year um, uh, to possibly do my first Shakespeare, but couldn't do it because I was already booked. Um, you know, it, it's something I would love to do. Have you done Shakespeare? I have. I've been very lucky. I did uh, a season uh, at the RSC at the Aldwych. Yeah. Uh, right. And I worked with uh, Judy Dench, Donald Sindel, wow. Elizabeth, wow. Elizabeth Spriggs, uh, Barry Ingham, uh, and it was just fantastic. We did all these plays, and uh, oh wow! I, I went there to do a play called London Assurance, which was a a Boussico play. Uh, but then I had to do Twelfth Night and Henry the Eighth and uh, uh, Winter's Tale. I played the bear in Winter's Tale. Did you? Uh, yeah. I mean, but it was it was just we had such a good time. I mean, and Judy Dench was a joy. They were all a joy. Was she? Yeah, great. Oh, that, that's something I would love to do. Yeah, yeah. and then I've done, uh, I played Puck in A Midsummer Night's Dream in wow. in uh, Regent's Park Open Air Theatre. In fact, I was the best Puck in the park that year. So uh, <laughs> it, was, it was great. I saw you at the Open Air Theatre. You did Bartholomew Fair. With, do you remember the woman I did it with? No. A I'm very sure. famous loud mouth woman. <laughs> Peggy Mount. Yes. Peggy Mount, of course it was Peggy Mount. Oh, God. I'd forgotten that. She was absolutely one of it. We had a director who was a famous writer. That's all I'm going to say. And he, I loved him. He was great. But he didn't know how to direct anything. Right. And And we knew the theatre, uh, Peggy and I. Uh, and uh, he had people with their doing soliloquies with their backs to the audience. So one day, Peggy and I are sitting there in the, in the rehearsal room and she said, Biggins, she said, we're in real trouble, dear. <laughs> You'll have to go to Ian Torbett and tell him. So I went to Ian Torbett and Ian Torbett said, do you get on well with the director? I said, I do. He said, well, do you think you could do it together? So I said, yeah, I think I could, I could do it. And I, you know, directed before. So I direct, half directed it with him and it was, Peggy was so thrilled. And of course, she was a wonderful, wonderful. Do you remember Pat Coombs? Pat Coombs, yes. Yeah, who they yeah. did a sort of double act with, the two of them. And uh, she, I met her through Peggy. Peggy was wonderful, absolutely fantastic woman. The first time I came to see it, you were rained off and we ended up in Joe Allen's. Oh, right, that's right. <laughs> you know, and, and I think I came back and, and saw it again. Yeah, uh, yeah. She was, she was remarkable, actually. Remarkable now. actress. She was just wonderful. Uh, and, of course, if we were... Uh, if we, if the, uh, the actors were tired or they were fed up with the play, whatever that was doing, we'd have rain dances backstage because you, 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 <laughs> you were only asked to leave if, and you had to be very careful because you couldn't, if it started to rain, you had to stay there whilst it was raining. You couldn't leave the stage. You had to wait for a disembodied voice to say, will the actors kindly leave the stage? And I remember when I was doing Puck, I, was do, I had a, a scene with Titania and I was on my on my uh, knees looking up at Titania and I had a big speech to follow. And Titania was played by Kate O'Mara and Kate O'Mara had gorgeous tits and they were full <laughs> on show. And suddenly the rain started and a piece of rain pinged off her bosom. <laughs> and then it pinged again. Well, I was, I started to laugh. I was crying and then the audience realised what was happening and they, right. they started to laugh and we both, we couldn't leave. We had to continue until this bloody voice said, will the actors kindly leave the stage? But we oh, didn't. Oh, gosh. Had so much fun. Les, it's your final item now. Yes. Uh, so do you have any clues or I hope you've got three clues for your final item? 
It's, it's uh, a lot smaller than the two items um, I've shown you so far. And so will oh, be that's good. <laughs> easier to see. <laughs> <laughs> um, and uh, it has a kind of a very calming item in an Eastern meditative uh, sense. Right. So is it something in brass or gold or...? It's not in brass or gold, but you can get them all sizes in maybe brass and gold and um, different materials. And is it, it's not, presumably it's not English then, it's, it's foreign. It's not English. It's kind of linked to a particular uh, religion or, or kind of way of a, a kind of faith. No, I've no idea. Tell me. I'm going to show it to you. And there it is. It's a little Buddha. Ah! I'm drawn to, to Buddhism. Um, I, I did try chanting for a while, and I find that meditation is a, is a great way of, of dealing with our mental health. Um, and I find some of the things, you know, Buddha apparently once said, is it kind and is it necessary? Which I love that phrase. You know, when sometimes you say something to somebody and then you might think later, did I have to say that? <laughs> was it kind and was it necessary? Yeah. You know, um, and, and karma is, is really um, important to me. And this, this little fella uh, was one of many um, that we had at our wedding, my wedding to Claire, on the table with the invitations and with the, with the menus, sat one of these for each um, member of the, of the congregation and, and, and then for the, the wedding guests. It sums up my finally finding true love and um, happiness and a woman who... I didn't expect to come into my life um, so late in my life. And then two kids, you know, I've got, a, a, you know, my son, Philip, you know, who was 10 when we worked together. He's 41 now. And he now, he now has um, a brother and sister. Uh, he's not an only child anymore. He now has um, Eleanor and Tom, who are 13 and 10, um, respectively. This sums up my kind of late happiness in life kind of just just how you never know in this life what's coming at you and i found something that is wonderful to have in my marriage and in these kids that just are a total joy to me i think you met um claire and, and um tom and ellie the other night didn't you when you came to the show You'd met Claire before, yeah. Well, I, yeah. I've, met, I've met Claire before, and I've, I, I love Claire. Claire is, is a, 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 she, what she is is a sensible woman, and she's very down-to-earth, and she knows exactly how to handle things, and she's, she's just wonderful. And no. I was so impressed with your children. I mean, they are gorgeous. They really are. They sat uh, next to us because they, we, we had a table of six, and, and then they sat at uh, two, and then suddenly I heard your son say, well, I think I'll have the monster. <laughs> Unbelievable. Yeah, I know. It was, yeah, it was funny because um, it was the press night, and I remember Michael, Michael Ball saying to me, he said, are your kids coming? And I went, well, they're at school up in Cheshire. I don't know. And he went, these, these press nights, th this kind of show don't happen that often and you should have them there. So we gave them, we talked to the school and they gave them uh, a day off. They authorised it and said, of course, go and, and see your dad do this. So they came, they watched Hairspray um, and uh, subsequently Eleanor has watched the movie, I think, eight or nine times. She's obsessed with it. Um, and they want to come as soon as possible. As soon as we are back in the theatre, they want to come see it again. Um, so it was, it was lovely to have them there. And I'm so glad that they that they impressed you because, yeah, Tom, Tom decided to go for the lobster and <laughs> Eleanor went for the fish and chips. Yeah. <laughs> 
He had lobsters and ch- lobster and chips. And it was a family you stayed in that lovely hotel in St Martin's Lane, uh, and and I think you had the, the kids had bunk beds. Was it? Did I? Yeah, yeah. We just we stayed in the, the little pod hotel round the corner, and, we, and so the four of us were in a, a family. We were in, t- in double bunk beds. <laughs> <laughs> Because they were very, they were very excited about the bug bears. I remember. Yeah, they were. But they're, um, they're lovely, lovely kids, and I think that's due to you and, of course, Claire, who is an exceptionally wonderful woman. And it's wonderful that you found the right person in your life at the at the time. And she is so special, and she really is. I don't keep on about it, but she's and her and Neil. Well, she and Neil well. got on so well, didn't they? That yeah, night? they did. Yeah. They did. Yeah. So we've become Absolutely. really good friends after. After uh, uh, Mother Goose in Swansea, yeah, isn't it? Isn't it? We 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 were. I remember um, when I lived in London at that time. Uh, we we would go to the theatre a lot together after that panto. And then you know what happens in this business? You kind of like oh, I know dr- things drift, and you know, and, and um, uh, but I've always kept in touch with through, through Helen. You know, how's Biggins, and you know. And finding no, out. I, I think that the nice thing about our business is that you 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 become really close friends, very intense close friends. With yes, people. absolutely. And then you don't see them, and but the, when the intensity is so strong that when you do see them again, it might be two, three, five years. It's still there. That intensity, there. you know, which is great. Yeah, and, uh, and it's easy to pick up. It's like you you only met yesterday. Exactly. Yeah, absolutely. Well, it's uh, Les, it's been wonderful picking you up today. And <laughs> <laughs> I've loved it. It's been a joy. I've really, really enjoyed it, it too. You're, you're a fabulous guy and a wonderful actor. There's going to be lots of things happening in the future for you and, and your family. So once again, Les, thank you ever so much and see you soon. Thank you very much, Chris. I call you Chris. I don't call you Biggins, do I? No, I call I, you Chris. I must be one right. of the few. Yeah, you are. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Biggins, Chris. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Show and Tell podcast. If you want to hear more conversations like this one, make sure you follow Show and Tell with Biggins on the podcast provider of your choice. And if you'd be so kind as to tell your friends about the podcast, I'd be ever so grateful. You can also follow us on social media. We're at Biggins Podcast. Goodbye.